Yeah. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I, re I reset everything, so. Cool. Okay. All right. In three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Back to the TARDIS podcast, the podcast where we take a look at every single episode of the 2005 revival of BBC's Doctor Who. I'm Jeff. I'm Skylar. And I'm an online Maoist who hates sex. And today we are discussing uh, the 2007 Christmas special Voyage of the Damned and the 2007 uh, Children in Need special Time Crash. Uh, we're actually going to talk about Time Crash first because it, it happens first and it's uh, shorter. Um, Time Crash is just a, uh, a fun, fluffy little episode uh, featuring Ten uh, briefly interacting with his fifth incarnation as played by Peter Davison. Um, I will say there's, there's, there's this interesting thing about Time Crash, which is um, the, how Five is portrayed here is honest, like in some ways kind of different to how Five was on TV. Like Peter Davison, uh, before uh, Matt Smith was cast as Eleven, Peter Davison was the youngest actor to ever be cast for the role at uh, 26, I believe. Um, and he always was of the opinion that he was cast too young and he didn't quite have the, the presence that he felt like he needed. Um, and he definitely does here, I think. And I think he does in Big Finish. And he, he manages to do it by, like, the very end of his tenure af after he already decided he was going to leave. But, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Um, oh, yeah, also this is uh, written by uh, uh, Stephen Moffat. And there's a whole thing at the end where, like, Ten's like, well, like, you were my doctor, my favorite. That is not Ten talking or David Tennant talking. That is Because uh, David Tennant was, like, Tom a Tom Baker uh, fanboy um and that that was who he grew up with um that is that is stephen moffat talking uh <laughs> bit of a writer self-insert there yeah uh i mean hey it's it's stephen moffat <laughs> yeah i mean actually at least it makes sense because he has the shoes and he has the squeaky voice and the glasses so i was like eh you know works for me yeah yeah that's fair um yeah i i you can definitely tell that okay you can tell it's a moffat thing because uh, the dot you, you written, can tell from the dialogue yeah because 10 is written a bit more like 11 in that scene just like he is in yeah um, uh, family of blood you can tell it's a you know it's obviously still 10 but he's written with a bit more of that like 11 yeah definitely definitely i get that you yeah you get you get the sense that he's warming up yeah it's a very useful episode because it has it's kind of it self-explains why this would be happening now aside from it being a fun thing it's like time has just been reset with the whole like paradox machine thing so i can understand how the tardis would be like a little vulnerable to like 
time fuckery. And then right afterward, he collides with a ship that, like, actually pierces into the inside, which wouldn't happen yeah. unless there was some other fuckery going on. So it actually kind of connects the two in a way that, like, doesn't seem as random or as because plot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of yeah. consider this mandatory viewing. Obviously, you don't have to. Um, but it, it makes some it's things make fun, a little man. bit more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't think there's really much to get in with on the, on the plot because it's, it's not like, it's not like the, the children in need special that was like the first look at 10. Um, like this is pure fluff. It's just fun. And it, I, I, I figured it was worth mentioning just for that, just for that little bit of Peter Davison. Um, who I, I admit was never like one I thought very highly of, but I, I do think he's he's very good in this. Um, See, so yeah, unless any, unless anyone has anything else, I can move on to Voyage of the Damned. Okay, uh, so yeah, uh, moving on now to Voyage of the Damned, written by one uh king russell t davies um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna set forward that i think the theme of this week's episode is surprising levels of or like astonishing levels of improvement because the last two christmas specials i either didn't particularly like or had the thing of like, oh well, okay, it's it's fine for a Christmas special. This episode fucking slaps. It is so good. Like I was genuinely astounded as I was watching. I was like, wait, like I, I you you saw in the group chat like about twenty minutes into the episode, I I just I was just like, wait, is this actually a good Christmas special? Like, is this a good episode? What? It's what? the only one. The only one. Yeah, no, I was literally thinking about asking that. Like, I, I, I was, I was having a piss earlier, and I was like, "Is that the only one?" Like, I was trying to think through. My Actually, head. wait, like, no. Okay, it's it's one of two, but that's uh, divisive because I'm one of those weirdos who likes uh wedding. Uh, no, sorry, not wedding. Uh, Husbands of River Song. I really like Husbands of River Song. Yeah, I like all it of the other too. ones. I don't care about. <laughs> it's just those two. Um. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so we we start with the whole like haha, a uh, ship's hull crashes through the TARDIS, and he goes like what, what? And then I love how the way they get out of that ass pull is he goes to the console, and then the wall repairs itself like the aperture science panels in Portal Two. Um, and then he steps out, and you know it's uh, people in like Titanic era dress enjoying. Yeah, partying and and such that, and uh, it's set on this the spaceship Titanic. Um, uh, Christmas special opening credits. Um, immediately after that, uh, we're introduced to Midshipman Frame. Um, and also, I have to say. For someone who only shows up in the last five minutes of the episode for reals, I fucking... Max Capricorn is John Lumick levels of ridiculous, like, hilarious, like, 
He's never going to leave my brain now. He's never ever going to leave my brain. Like like John. I mean, Lumic. he he is genuinely one that I remembered very well, just because I remember. I just remembered that he looked weird. I didn't remember anything that came out of his mouth, which is stupid because fucking everything that comes out of his mouth is hilarious, like stupid gold. His fucking oh. tooth, like Ding. cherry <laughs> on top. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, the doctor comes back out of the TARDIS and he's wearing the same tux that he was wearing in, uh, the Cyberman two-parter, which is, oh my god, wait, what if the tux is a signifier of batshit, uh, meme villain? It's very possible. What if if that's it? Um... Anyways, uh, so, yeah, uh, and you, there's these robotic, angelic hosts, um, and the doctors, you know, talks to them, gets, gets exposition, uh, one of them gets pulled off because it's a glitch. We'll get to the hosts later, they're just kind of robots now. Once they get on later, they just, I feel like, in general, this episode is weirdly, like, absolutely stupid hilarious and crazy mood whiplash like super dark like it is honestly amazing how much like rtd like black comedy or like sudden shifts to like jesusness there is in this otherwise goofy meme episode um so yes, then we are introduced to our companion for this episode, Astrid Peth, uh, played by one pop star, Kylie Minogue, which is, I think, one of the, f- maybe one of the first pieces of, like, major stunt casting from Modern Who, but, like, I don't care because she's good, like, good enough that I'm actually, like, mildly peeved that the episode sets her up so much only to kill her off at the end, and I, I understand because... It would probably be prohibitively expensive to get Kylie Minogue for a season, but... I mean, this in general was when Doctor Who was starting to, like... It it wasn't, like, as big as it would get, like, once Eleven was here, but the fact that you have, like, Catherine Tate back is, like... That's also, like, another pretty big step forward in that direction of, like, rocketing up towards, like, superstardom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, she has, like, surprising, like, I read a review, a contemporary review from, from the time when, when the episode was released, that, like, like, shit all over the episode was like, oh, this, this sucks, like, it's just reused cliches and over-the-top RTD, and Kylie Minogue isn't great and has no chemistry, and I'm like, did we watch the same episode? Are you just being like like super like cl- like boring classic stands again? Because I swear to God, Astrid and Ten have more chemistry than Rose and Ten. Yeah, like, yeah, which that's isn't true. Hard, but that's still. fucking true. Holy shit! David Tennant has more chemistry with Kylie Minogue than he does with Billy Piper. <laughs> and that's frankly impressive, considering that getting like pop star 
guests as actors is like a really fucking dicey game. Wait, holy shit, Billy Piper used to be a pop star too. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. So I can't believe all the times that they've had one on, it's worked out really well. Damn. <laughs> um anyways. Uh so yeah, I will say the best, the best, the, yeah, this, this scene is great because it, it, it sets up, like, the fact that there is a very obvious major, like, class wealth disparity between the, sh uh, the, the ship guests and the ship servant and even, like, someone, uh, the two characters that were introduced to who won a lottery who are, like, two of the best characters in the entire episode and i love that like 10 immediately goes to sit with them because he realizes that everyone else on the ship other than him astrid and these two people fucking suck it's great yep all these elite not humans but humans <laughs> yeah i love it yeah it is i it mean is yeah awesome. I, I was basically saying in the chat it's like Damn, this story only works when you have aliens, but also we don't have the budget to make room full of people look like aliens. So, uh, guess yeah, they just look you like just, humans. Yeah, you just, you just roll with it. You yeah. just the old roll Star with Trek it. comparison was really apt. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 what I said in the group chat was basically, you know, Star Trek basically has aliens are just humans with a slight facial modification. Doctor Who is just not. They just look like humans. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, then you meet, oh, and, oh yeah, and also, uh, 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 Mr. Coppers is good too, but, um, yeah, you, you get kind of like the sense like, ooh, stuff's going wrong here, but that's mainly just ignored, so I will say, actually, real quick, my, um, I, I, I have so many thoughts on this episode, but, um, one of the things that I realized is this episode is fucking long. This episode is almost an hour and a half long. It is surprisingly, like, lengthy. Like, it is the longest single episode that we have covered so far. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think and that's good because it, it helps pace it really well. Like, it's, it's almost a two-parter, but not quite. And that's fine because it means that it's as long as it needs to be. Like, there is enough time to introduce all of the major characters and have them interact first before shit hits the fan. Yeah, this this is the most well-paced Christmas episode we've covered so yeah. far. It's not perfect. I'd say it dragged a little bit towards the end, but even then, like, only slightly. This was, I was and invested the entire time. It's the only one that doesn't have a part in it where they go, oh, shit, this is a Christmas episode, and, like, throw in robot Santas. It is the only one so far. This is a better, like, in terms of just being Christmas-themed, this is a better Christmas-themed episode than either of the last two episodes, which are more explicit in their Christmassy elements. Um, 
Let's see here. Um, so yes, we are we are introduced to the Earthologist, Mister Copper, um, and the spiky person, uh, Benicafalata, who just yeah, again, just another RTD. Like every time. Like, I swear to God, RTD's, like, specialty is just, like, knocking, like, characters out of the park. Because, except for the rich asshole guy who you're not supposed to like, all of these characters are likable and memorable. Like, I admittedly, he is a, like, three-foot-tall, red, spiky dude with the name Banacafalata, but I remember Banacafalata, and I barely remember shit about this episode before I rewatched it. Because I only watched it, like, once before this. Yeah, I haven't watched it in about, like, five or six years or something. Yeah. And literally, just in the opening scenes where he's wandering around, like, the, uh, the main room, like, I was like, oh, that person's, like, a major character, that person's a major character, that person's a major character, just, like, from memory. I was like, yeah. oh, look, there's all the characters. And, and, and it wasn't like they, they were focused on, you know, besides the uh, the, the couple. Like, they're, they all just, like, briefly passed by the screen. But, like, that's that, like, on its own was enough for me to be like, oh, I remember that character. So, like, that's pretty, that's yeah. a testament. Like, yeah. These characters. Also, you're not yeah, putting definitely. makeup on. You're not putting makeup on someone like that if they're just a background character. Not, not in an episode like this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I love how they justify being able to teleport these people into just an empty area and, like, not have to pay any extras and have it just be completely deserted, um, by just being like, yeah, it's Christmas time. The last two Christmases, bad shit happened, so everyone has just gotten the fuck out of town or is staying home. That's great. I love that. It's that, yeah. that it's, you know, it's that little, like, there's this sense of continuity that the RTD era and only the RTD era has, where there's this sense of, like, each season represented a year in real time, though technically after Aliens of London, everything was technically a year ahead because of that skip. But other than that... Basically, everything was in the same time frame, happening about within a year of each other. And there's callbacks, and y there's a sense that, like, stuff has continuity and is remembered and exists in the world. That Moffat didn't have, and Chibnall so far has not had. That's just, I think, a really nice thing. Also, we are introduced to the ultimate Chad peak performance best character in the history of Doctor Who, Welf. Um, now, technically, this wasn't supposed to be Welf, and Wolf wasn't supposed to be a character, except for the fact that the actor playing uh, Donna's dad died partway through filming for the season, so they did, like, reshoots and, and just called Bernard Cribbins back and, and wrote him in as Donna's grandfather and did reshoots and stuff. But goddamn is he great. Oh yeah. I love the fact that like even even if we had never seen him again, he still plays this like 
tertiary, like quaternary role with so much character yeah. and flavor that it's like I would still Even remember this guy. Even if we had guy. never seen him again, I would have remembered him. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, admittedly, this really that is the bit. yeah, yeah. That is because, admittedly, Bernard Cribbins is, like, one of the most, like, respected actors that you could have gotten and and knows his shit. But, like, goddamn, is he good. Yeah, I'll forgive him being a royalist. Just you, Wilf. Just you. He's our exception. He's our token monarchist that we're okay with. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then they get teleported back early because uh, there was power fluctuations and, and such. Um, and you get, I will say, how this episode builds, like, again, I like the fact that this episode is nearly an hour and a half long because it gives the plot 15, 20 minutes to just kind of meander around and be, like, fun stuff before having to move into the disaster movie part of the episode and it also makes that shift feel a lot more natural because there's build-up to it. It's not like, oh, like, Mall Santas attack the Tylers with, like, a spinning Christmas tree and, like, flamethrower, like, brass instruments and stuff, and then a big fuck-off spaceship appears. It's, no, the Doctor's just hanging out, doing fun Christmassy stuff, while all the while you get the sense that things are not going right on the ship, and, and it's entirely possible that there is sabotage going on. Yeah, it starts not building, the like, Boys the, very first, the very first scene we get of the bridge, and, like, the captain, it starts setting that up when he's trying to dismiss everyone. And only the midshipman stays. Like, that's when it starts. And it can afford to do that type of slow build and just be, like, mainly a character piece until all goes all goes to shit. I love it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so... Oh! Okay, I was, uh, I was misinformed. This episode does also have a original song. The, the song that the, uh, the singer is, uh, singing when they get back from the, uh, the teleport to Earth, the stowaway, Murray Gold wrote that. That, why is all the original songs that he writes that are, like, vocal tracks in the fucking Christmas episodes? Because there was one last year, too. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then you get this buildup of, like, a, a, a meteoroid storm coming in, and you get the sense that um, the, the, everything had been set up, so the ship was intentionally planning to get uh, hit by the, the meteoroid storm. Yeah, the way it builds up to that is, like, really smooth. It does a really yeah. good job of, like, making the care like, the the motivation of the captain and as well as, like, the reactions of the other people believable. Because, like, you have the um the crewman and he's just like, oh, what, what, are you, what are you doing there? You're, you're turning off the shields and the... Yeah, the, why, the, why uh, are you doing that one, huh? <laughs> the, the, the asteroids are coming. It's like, nah, nah, don't worry about it. It's just... Just 
just a bit of a, just sit on me fine, I'll be fine. And he's like, oh, um, okay, um, they're getting, uh, they're getting kind of close there. Uh, <laughs> the actor, the actor for the captain is so good, and I didn't realize yeah. it until this time. He's also like a pretty well-established British actor. Like, he's, oh, is he? Who is he? Yeah, like, and I know this because I used to watch this sitcom with my grandparents. This British sitcom called "As Time Goes By," um, and he's like the main guy in that, and that went on for like more than uh, ten years, I think. Yeah, like. Yeah. So it was a while. Um, so yeah, just getting getting talent in like small crucial roles like that, it's it's more expensive, but it just adds to the flavor of like pretty much any episode if you do that too, just getting talent like that. And uh, yeah, this, epi- this episode does a good job with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, you know, the little things of like they, like uh, whoever uh, set up the sabotage paid his family and he's like i'm already dying um yeah it's it's great um and then uh, obviously the asteroids or meteorites uh hit the uh ship and all hell breaks loose um and we get this nice setup where it's 10 trying to get this motley crew of um astrid uh, the married couple, uh, the rich asshole guy, and Banacafaletta, um, out alive. And we were immediately started in, like, how, like, fucking brutal and unrelentless this episode is when the chief steward, after being like, it's okay, all right, I'll just check in this one thing, immediately gets sucked out into space and dies. It's like, like, it, like, it, it, like <laughs> I swear, half the deaths in this episode are so shockingly sudden that you're just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a whole montage of, like, when the crash first happens where it's just, like, body count after body count, and I'm like, Jesus, RTD. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's flames and everyone's burning and falling out and dying. Literally everyone except for three, no, four people die four people survive this episode damn the doctor the rich asshole guy mr copper and midshipman frank they're the only people who live well i mean obviously wolfwoods but like anyone out of the people who are on the ship only four people live that is crazy that is like a like ridiculously high body count even for doctor who yeah and usually you like you have a companion in a type of episode where like almost all the cast dies but even here like the one person who serves that role also gets fucking murked so yeah Yeah. brutal okay um Oh, sorry, Rickston Slade. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Um, that's the that's the rich asshole guy. Um, <laughs> and then we are introduced to the hosts going haywire, which is now when I can start talking about the hosts of like I swear, RTDs like with between like the Ood and like these is like really good at like black comedy like thing that is meant to serve going haywire and killing. 
Like, they just... Information to kill, and then they start taking the fucking halos off their heads and throwing them as, like, deadly sharp discus. I'm pretty <laughs> so sure they reused... stupid. I'm pretty sure they reused that, like, slicing sound effect from the Toclophane with, like, the, they uh... Just, oh my god, you're right, they did. They might have, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, when we, when we hear it in, like, the kitchen staff all being killed off, I was just like... That's the same type of black comedy gag, but this time it's, like, more played straight in for horror. But I was just, like, pretty sure that's the same sound effect. Don't care, because they're fucking also, terrifying. Also, what, what does this what does this show have about uh, kitchen staff on, like, classic, classic, uh, on, like, Edwardian uh, pop culture uh, throwback? Because the kitchen staff on the fucking Mummy on the Orient Express get airlocked. What does this show have against that shit, man? Insert classism commentary here. Yeah. It's actually kind of it's it's honestly kind of interesting too how like now that I've rewatched this episode like how much less like how much more Mummy on the Orient Express manages to stand up purely on the fact that it is an interesting plot and has good acting? Because otherwise, aesthetically, it is basically just a ripoff of this. <laughs> and I, I didn't think about that before. So yeah, uh, and then we set up uh, the Doctor uh, talking back and forth with the impressively hardy midshipman frame who I do not believe gets treated for the bullet wound to the gut that he suffers the entire episode and he lives fine he's fine by the end of the episode yeah that, that was no, so it's... weird like, so, the time lord should figure out how the hell he got his goddamn healing factor because jesus christ no it's fine yeah, that... it's these are human aliens but the only difference between them is that they can survive one Five gun bullet shot wound wounds more. to the gut <laughs> yeah that's the only benefit it's like it's like klingons with their like redundant organ systems like that's the only internal change uh yeah um let's see here Um, so yeah, uh, you get the setup of like, well, we have to make sure the engines are still running because if they turn off, uh, we'll fall into the planet. Um, and they start, uh, heading out and just little dialogue like, uh, like, okay, uh, look, can I just call you Banna? It's going to save a lot of time. And he's like, no, Banna Cafalata. Actually, sorry. I forgot to say he, Banna Cafalata is always just referred to as Banacafaletta, which I believe means that Banacafaletta either does not have pronouns or Banacafaletta's name is Banacafaletta's pronoun. Either way, I'm counting that as based RTD. Hmm. What, what do you, what do you, what do you guys think? I buy that. Um, Chad, neo-pronoun, Banacafaletta. Yeah, I stand. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, immediately followed by the doctor basically telling the rich asshole to shut the fuck up. God, oh, that was this, a nice little bit. This, God, I also this episode is so good. 
Why did I sleep on this episode before? Like, that's weird. This episode has such a reputation for being, like, not great. And it's, like, astonishingly good. Also, like, admittedly, admittedly, some of that might be because I have just that, that built-up, like, knowledge of its reputation. But I swear... This yeah. episode fucking slaps. To jump ahead, I also like for the rich asshole guy that he doesn't really change. Like, in, in a lot of stories, the stereotypical trope thing would be like, oh, I've gone through this, like, life-harrowing experience. Maybe I shouldn't just care about myself and money, because that got no, me nowhere in like, the end. No, he's just like, money. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, it sucked, but it's like, it sucked in a good way. Yeah. No, it, but no, it is surprisingly dark that, like, four people live and one of them's the rich asshole. Because, like, normally the rich asshole is the one that gets killed off. But nope. And, and I think that works really well with the Sheer luck he point. manages like, to, survive. to survive. I think that works really well with the, the, like, ultimate point of, like, the doctor doesn't get to choose who lives and dies. Which yeah. then ties into a later episode in this season. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good little, like, like genuinely the, the like themes of this episode like the doctor not being all powerful lead really well into like a lot and of eight later episodes in prom yeah and promising i will save all of you and failing miserably like yeah he really more than thing. half of the people he swore to save die yeah it's brutal I think this is all I th I think this is the moment where 10 is starting to really get like beat up. Obviously not as much like yeah. like losing Donna sucks, the whole Time Lord Victorious thing sucks, but I I would wager it starts to get to him like really get to him. Yeah. Right here. One one two one two punch of of Rose and the master literally choosing death in front of him just to spite him. Yeah, and then he loses his, like, new friend companion Martha for understandable reasons. And it's like, because when he meets Astrid, <laughs> yeah, when he meets Astrid, it's almost like a, oh, I can still salvage this. I can still, like, yeah, you know, I got continue this. on, but, like, no. <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh yeah, so they there's also this this great great scene where uh Morvin and Foon the married couple um are are having uh talking about the fact that she spent basically spent a, most of their money on the tickets anyway. Like they it, it probably still was cheaper than what actual tickets would have been, but she still spent a lot of money on them. And like they don't fight about it. They just both, like, he just laughs and is just like, You're, I love you. And that's so good. That's so sweet. Like, bruh. Like, I, I honestly, like, their deaths hit me the hardest because they are just, like, the sweetest, nicest people in the entire episode. And they both get fucked over. 
BRB writing a Voyage of the Damned Fix It fic. You do it. Do it, man. <laughs> um Uh, yeah, so, yeah, this episode yeah. is really like uh, capitalism fucks them all. Up. Yeah, yeah. In the end, capitalism uh, killed them all. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, it's revealed that Benicafaletta is a cyborg. Um, I, did you know, are did, oppressed in their society. Yeah, did you did you notice the throwaway line of you can even get married? Yeah. That Gee, was I wonder what that's commentary on. Wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> Honestly based though, that's RTD. That... This is the hardest I've cried based RTD since like <sighs> series one. Oh yeah. That's that's one of my probably like one of my only nitpicks is the fact that like there's this whole thing of like oh Banacafalata can become more accepted now except Capricorn just kind of says like actually nah that's not the case I'm being yeah. fucked over because of it and I'm just like well okay is it yeah and yeah I think in general the world building is simultaneously like the most interesting and like least fleshed out that it could be but that's obviously because everything else is like taking center stage and i enjoy that <laughs> it was just one of the few things that i was just like hmm, okay yeah definitely um yeah okay uh so oh yeah also like i forgot like i'm seeing like this touching scene of of like um this this like super like touching scene where Astrid's talking to Ben Cafaletta and then he just pulls out like the the marry you line and I literally popped off my chair and was like whoa whoa <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was some confidence <laughs> like that's the kind of shit that like I'm used to seeing in like the the fucking like anime games I play. As, and, like, hate myself for playing. I, I was like, whoa, I did not expect that. Um. Yeah, then, uh, so yeah, then the kitchen staff all get horribly, horribly murdered. Um. Uh, they accidentally, there's this great, uh, bit of tension where, uh, they've been working on rebuilding a host. Because they didn't know that it's, um. That it's, it's, uh, like, potentially, uh, that they're trying to kill them, um, which, uh, is great, because then there's that little bit of tension where it's like, oh, no, is, is someone gonna get fucked for that? Um, oh, yeah, then we get to the, um, actually, wait, do we get to it yet? No. Okay, never mind. Um, Alon uh, Midshipman Frame has to lock himself in the bridge with a deadlock. Um, but uh, Ten manages to use a, a override command to figure out where they're getting orders from. Deck 31. Uh, which is this weird, mysterious deck. 
Um, oh yeah. Also, I I love I love. I love how they have, like, he has the big speech of, like, who he is, and then, like, everyone's just like, oh, okay. Sure. They're like, alright, bud. Because <laughs> they have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah, Astrid, Astrid doesn't even, like, get it right when she brings it up later. Time king of something. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of iconic things that kind of carry over not like all the way to present day of course but like the whole i'm the doctor thing comes up again wilf um there's something else i'm thinking oh alonzo if like yeah. briefly like this is a staple of modern doctor who i think this episode yeah definitely um uh you get the backstory uh that mr copper was a traveling salesman um who uh just kind of like bullshitted his way in which explains why like i forgot to mention avery do you want to take the floor on like all like the weird like bastardizations of like earth culture that mr copper tries to say because they're they're all great oh yeah yeah, yeah. let me uh find that part in the script <laughs> there yeah yeah okay so I'll i'll just read through the whole thing um I am Mr. Copper, the ship's historian. I should be taking you to the old London town in the country of UK, which is ruled over by good <laughs> King Wenzel Klaus. Now, yeah. <laughs> human beings worship the great god Santa, a creature with fearsome claws, and his wife Mary. And every Christmas Eve, the people of UK go to war with the country of Turkey, and then they eat the Turkey people for Christmas dinner like savages. <laughs> It's so great. It's so great. I love it. And it's like... He's fucking hilarious. hilarious. It is really good, because it, it just genuinely reminds me a lot of like what misinformed anthropologists say about cultures a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it really puts shit into perspective when you think about it. Like, what if that's what, like, actual aliens think about us? It's fucking hilarious. Um, so yeah, then they get to the big set piece, which is like this huge chasm, which, okay, I will admit, some of the, the contemporary over there was like, oh, this is such a tired and obvious trope. And I'm like, okay, fuck you. This episode's intentionally stupid anyways. But I, I will admit it is a little bit contrived. Um, immediately followed by Morvin suddenly, like, part of the railing breaking off and Morvin falling to his death out of nowhere. Like, I actually, like, straight up yelled, like, Jesus Christ, and, like, cringed at my screen. <laughs> like, it just happens. Yeah. It is wild. Um... Let's see here. Um... Uh, also, the, the one of the best lines uh, where, uh, like, the doctor's, like, trying to convince Poon, like, come on, you need to keep going. Like, what would he want? And she's like, he doesn't, he doesn't want anything. He's dead. 
<laughs> which is legitimately like one of the simultaneously like funniest, truest, and most heartbreaking lines ever committed to public memory. That is so good. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I feel so bad for that couple. Like, yeah. And Astrid, too, obviously, because she's, like, supposed to be the companion role, but, like, that couple. Yeah, they get, they get the worst. <laughs> like, everyone else is, like, pretty chill about going out on their own terms, except those two. Um... Uh, then Banacafaleta sets off an EMP, which literally, like, three characters die in this one room. Half the cast, like, they kill, like, half the cast in this one fucking room. Also, this is a side point, but the, the CGI with, like, the engine below them, like, it actually yeah, looks really decent, yeah, it, like, really good. Yeah, it's surprisingly good for the, for, yeah. Yeah, it was, like... I wouldn't say seamless, but it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't like series one effects where it was just like, okay, I appreciate it, but no, <laughs> like yeah. this was, yeah, it, it was, it's a good set piece. I, I believed it. It was a good set and yeah, fucking half the cast dies and you're just like, shit. Yeah. What can now? we get, can we get an F in chat and a moment of silence, uh, for, uh, Morvan and Foon F. Um, so yeah, uh, then they move on, uh, the, they split up, uh, the doctor goes to deck 31, um, and he sends Astrid and Mr. Copper and Rixton up to reception, uh, to try and figure out how to transfer an SOS. Um, I can't believe he trusts Rixton with the sonic screwdriver. Like bruh. like, bruh. Yeah, that was a moment. <laughs> like, why why didn't you give that one to Astrid, bro? I mean, like, I understand she has to have the EMP thingy, but still. Um, he will open doors purely out of his self-interest. The doctor's like, yeah. what's the device I can give him that he'll have the least likelihood of fucking up with? Um, I will say... The thing, the, the very brief scene where she uh, makes out with him is absolutely contrived and cliche and just kind of there. But at the same time, they hired Kylie Minogue. They might as well. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> also, using the thing as like a footstool. like that Yeah, getting, getting the it... box because like David Tennant is like a head and a half taller than her. Yeah, was I was moment. like, you <laughs> might as well. Um, uh, so yeah, then the uh, doctor uh, uses the uh, security protocol that gives him three questions. There's this great comedy in the scene where he keeps accidentally asking questions. He's like, wait, no, fuck, shit. <laughs> yeah that was great like, god like it yeah i admit it's, it's kind of cliche but it's good so like shut the fuck up i don't care about cliches if they're good cliche in itself is not a bad word exactly um also it's very old sci-fi 
or maybe not old sci-fi, but the whole thing of like being able to outsmart technology if you're like really clever um, and are able to like work around it. So the fact that he's able to get all of that information and get to Max just by like being very reasonable and rational and logical like with the robots and saying like you have to do this where they like have no other choice that was that was really cool yeah yeah that's great um uh, so yeah astrid does uh her own teleport back in to help the dog which again it's a rose move but weirdly enough i i like it um, cause, and normally, I mean, probably cause she only does it the once, whereas Rose does it like, like at least like seven to 10 times. Um, and then we are, uh, the doctor is taken to deck 31 and we are shown the ultimate authority of the hosts and Mr. Fucking Max Capricorn wheels himself into the room. <laughs> there are no Man, words. I just <laughs> the fact that he, the fact that the actor who plays him is able to pull so much out of just being a head in a jar is fucking amazing. Props to the makeup and, like, prop department for, like, seamlessly integrating his head into, like, a machinery box with a whole bunch of, like, stupid doohickeys and wheels. <laughs> like Yeah, you can very clearly see, like, oh, okay, this is very clearly, like, a latex sort of shirt thing. Mm. Um, but y if you're not, like, really paying attention and trying to figure that out, it's not, uh, yeah. It's a pretty good effect. It's, yeah. Um, and just this entire back and forth, um, where he's just doing this as an insurance scam to fuck over his board. And then there's the line of like, <laughs> I, I will retire to the beaches of Penhexico too, where the ladies I'm so told are very fond of metal <laughs> just the way he delivers the word metal is the metal. stupidest metal. fucking <laughs> i rewatched that scene and he looks down before he says metal like it's a very subtle <laughs> thing like what the fuck <laughs> i swear like transhumanism oh is God. a hell of a drug yeah <laughs> This is Avery. Whenever like you are, you just gonna like post pictures of Max Capricorn if you like get in arguments with transhumanists on Twitter now. <laughs> That's actually a good idea. I'm like shut up and go back to your king and just post Max Capricorn. <laughs> is this your god? <laughs> Either that or Cassandra. Um, but yeah, no, uh. it is it is great because, like, even the doctor's like, wow, that is really petty. 
and then we get into you know like i i the, the Stu Bagful did a video on this where he he also had the similar thing of like wow this episode is actually great where he and like his friends just like watched it and he just like recorded like posted like highlights of their their watch session but he put it out that RTD engineered this so you have the doctor and a head in a metal box on wheels in this chasm uh, above this engine and then you have Kylie Minogue in a forklift <laughs> coming over and lifting this fucker and like pushing him off but the brake lines get severed so when she drives him off she sacrifices herself <laughs> and I'm just like what the fuck is <laughs> it is the most ridiculous shit and I I fucking ate ate, ate it up dude it is so great the fucking one-liner where it's like, Max Capricorn, I resign. <laughs> I was like, yes, fuck Class yes, give it uprising. to me now, inject Class it into my uprising. eyeballs. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and then with Ast. <laughs> Okay, uh, one of our patrons who's listening and just posted a fucking screen cap of Max's face right before he falls. <laughs> that's like a that's like a like a when you nut and she keeps sucking face. <laughs> oh my god, um, and then. Uh, uh, Astrid falls and the doctor has like his sad face moment and then RTD after I guess hearing all the shit he got for last of the time lords doubles down and we get a Jesus doctor liftoff moment like none other where he literally snaps his fingers and is ascended upwards by angelic robots <laughs> How can you not love this episode? It's so stupid, and it knows how stupid it is. It's like, oh, you master deadlocked the bridge? Watch this. Master deadlock this, motherfucker. I'm going to break it with my head. There's also, even the, the, the line of, like, deadlock deactivated once he just smashes through the floor like the goddamn Kool-Aid man. Like... Also, the, uh, the like, shot of just the raised fist, you know, leading upwards is a <laughs> based RTD, but pretty unsubtly way. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so, yeah, then we get the thing where they're... they're the, uh, the Doctor and Midshipman Frame, whose name is revealed to be Alonzo, in a two-year payoff. Basically. Did, did the Doctor say Alonzo in the first appearance? I can't remember. No, he what, what happens is, in uh, Army of Ghosts Doomsday... He comes up with the Alan Z and uh, says that he wishes that he had he knew someone named Alonzo that he could say it to. So it is literally a like 
year, year and a half long build up to that. It's funny how I remember Alon Z more from like this than when it started. Yeah. Which make your own series two joke here. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great moment full of cheese, but I still love it. Um And then we get, I posted a video clip of this in the Discord. We get to the moment that gave me the single biggest pop-off. Where um, it's like, oh, the ship's going to hit Buckingham Palace. And the doctor literally picks up a phone and calls Buckingham Palace. And you get a shot of someone who's supposed to be Queen Elizabeth from behind. Booking it down a hallway in the palace with her fucking corgi. <laughs> it is <laughs> And you get Wolf like screaming at the sky like don't you do it you damn aliens <laughs> And then they manage to get the nose up and it just careens up and over and you get someone impersonating the queen going Thank you doctor happy Christmas <laughs> <laughs> there are no words. It's so stupid. The way he's looking at the scanner of where it's landing too, and he's just like, of course it would fucking be there. Of fucking course. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, then, uh, the doc, there is this very nice thing where the doctor, like, very frantically tries to save, um, uh, Astrid, and it doesn't work. Like, I'm putting this out here, as much as I like Moffat, if this was a Moffat episode, it would have worked. You're or saying it, it would have or wouldn't have? I No, I'm saying it would have worked if it was a Moffat episode. Oh, yeah. Or at least the ending would have been happier if it was a if it was a Moffat episode. Like, it is honestly weird to realize, like, for someone who wrote some of the scariest Doctor Who episodes, Moffat really does not like high body counts. He doesn't do that shit. Like, even in Empty Child and Blink, those technically have, both have a body count of zero. Or at least only from natural causes. Um. Uh, so yeah, uh, then, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and then we get the line of, like, where, cause Rixton Slade survived, and Copper says, of all the people to survive, he's not the one you would have chosen, is he? But if you could choose, that would make you a monster. And just, man! That was a little too on the nose for me, I gotta be honest. 
I don't fucking care. Listen, man, RTD is not subtle. Well, no, I, I know that, but it, he could have left it at, you know, he's not the one you would have chosen to, like, survive. And I think the same point still could have gotten across. It was just, like, eh. slightly pushing at it. I think outright it for... saying it makes sense considering where they're going with it later. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's... I, I, I'm, my criticism isn't that they don't follow through with it, because that's definitely not fucking true. They do. It was just yeah. like, oh, okay. Mm hmm Um. So, yeah, uh, the, the doctor and Mr. Copper, uh, there's this lovely thing where, um, there's the, the MacGuffin setup where, uh, or like a Chekhov's gun setup where uh, Mr. Copper has a credit card. Um, and you learn at the end of the episode that the credit card he did basically with exchange rate from like whatever the credit thing that he uses to dollars, which explains that. Um, uh, uh, one apparently like. Because, like, I guess, like, credits are, like, super, like, like inflated or whatever. Or, I don't know, deflated? I don't know what the right term would be. I'm not an economist. But basically, the point is, he's super fucking rich. Which is great. It also puts um, into perspective the poverty of the first characters that they were going to have to, um spend the rest of their lives paying off 5,000 credits when, like, by, based on that conversion, that's about a $1,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... And th this also shows up later because I think it's mentioned that the subwave network that's used in the finale was developed by the Copper Foundation. And just, like, that little sense of RTD, RTD continuity, man. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, the Doctor goes in the TARDIS and it dematerializes. And the last thing that we see is uh, in memory of Verity Lambert, uh, 1935 to 2007. Um, so, yeah. Uh... Anything else before we move on to ratings? All right. Yeah, this episode this episode is such an astonishing improvement over the other Christmas specials. And even, like, I expected to not like this anywhere nearly as much as I did. And just, god damn, this episode, like, there's great commentary. The characters are great. It is disturbingly, like, dark and, like brutal um the actors are all great stunt casting actually worked out um yeah it's it's so it's just so good um i don't think i'd necessarily quite give it a perfect 10 but it is a very strong nine very very strong nine at least, at least purely in terms of, like, how much I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, this this episode is almost perfect. It's definitely, it's definitely the best Christmas special possibly ever, but definitely that we've covered so far. 
Um, my only minor gripes is that, like, occasionally the writing is, like, really obvious. And the one actual plot hole that bugged me was that Max was saying, oh, I can cancel the engines from here. And it's like, well, how come you haven't done that until now? But, like, it was, it's one of those episodes that knows it's, like, pretty stupid and, like, cheesy and, you know, pastiche everything. So it's like, I'm willing to go yeah. with it. Um, yeah, it's a pantomime. Yeah, it's so, a fucking pantomime. So the fact that it's like that—that's my only complaint. It's like, yeah, the characters are great, um, the fucking setting is great, the tension, like everything, almost everything is on point. So yeah, nine out of ten. Um. Uh. So yeah. Uh, Avery. Um, yeah, I I'd say honestly, I agree. I think it's a it's a very solid episode. It doesn't quite reach the like, you know, those levels of like, oh my god, this is like completely blowing my mind. But it definitely was like way past my expectations. It was an amazing episode. It's very solid. So yeah, uh, nine out of ten. Um. Yeah. All right. Uh. Uh, next week uh, we will be discussing uh, series 4 episode 1 partners in crime um, until then though we're going to move on to our next segment uh, this week we are discussing uh, Torchwood series 2 episode 1 kiss kiss bang bang which again continuing the trend of astonishing levels of improvement like i know the last torchwood episode we watched was two weeks ago but like just the level of quality increase between those two i just man this episode, like I've said before, this episode is my mom's personal favorite episode of Torchwood. Um, it's just so much fucking fun. Like, Agreed. my God, this is like, and the, the fucking weirdest thing is Chris Chibnall wrote this episode. Where the hell is that Chris Chibnall now? Didn't he co-write it? No, he is the sole credited writer on this episode. Wow. Okay, you see, the thing is, I wouldn't have guessed that, but now that you say it, I totally see it. Like, I'm thinking about the episode again, and it has that sort of, like, lighthearted flair to it that, like, really denotes Chivnall. But it actually has yeah, snappy dialogue and, and characters that are interesting and that you care about and actually have, like, character to them. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, the... Uh, what am I it has to edge. Say? The, the, like, Definition. I, I can't remember his name, but you know the 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 other time agent, like he, Captain John what, Hart. Yeah, John Hart is what I feel like Chibnall wants all of his characters to be in like his current run of Doctor Who, where they're like really eccentric, but in a way that works. Because like uh, Hart is like he, you know, he comes in with like the cowboy stuff. He like you know he beats the fuck out of someone, and throws him is... off a ledge. Almost and, more, like, in-your-face, I-will-fuck-anything than goddamn Jack. John Barrowman is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and, and you really get that sense that like the whole episode is just this like you know crazy fantastical trip for the whole like yeah. stretch of it yeah and, 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 and in, like in another sense it's a lover's this. spat like he's <laughs> yeah. he's a jilted ex-lover <laughs> isn't this a buffy actor too yes it's spike god that is so perfect that is so perfect <laughs> But no, just like everything and like it it just feels like every single thing I didn't like about series one is atomized in this episode. Like, we start off, Torchwood is being actually capable, Owen's being actually like fun and like not obnoxious. You get the uh, the, the great line of excuse me, have you seen a blowfish right? Like, I just I feel like the tone setting thing for this series is the fact that it opens with a night and there's like like middle of the night and there's this like old lady crossing the road and a blowfish in a sports car with the with the like roof down blaring hip hop is the first shot of this season. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, and then obviously, and the thing too about like Jack comes back and they don't like, they consistently give him shit for just dipping on them throughout the entire episode. Like they don't let, let him go on that. Like they're still like, Hey asshole, you did this. Um... Yeah, I en I enjoyed Torchwood series one most of it, but it I don't know this this might just be a false impression, but I have a feeling that there's a little bit more like we can have fun while still yeah. being like a darker and yeah potentially manage... edgier show than Doctor Who. Yeah. We can still have yeah. the fun though. Series I feel like series one's problem right is it tried to almost like. It couldn't decide if it wanted to be full, darker, and edgier Doctor Who. Or, or with, like, all the, 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 the fucking and the swearing and the violence. Or if it wanted to be, ooh, look at us, we're, like, sexy and mature Doctor Who with all the, the fucking and people making bad decisions. And, uh, like, 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 who funny stuff. And here they managed to settle on a tone where, like, they're allowed to have fun, but it's not cringy, and it's as dark as it needs to be. It's so good. <laughs> oh yeah, also I forgot the fact that the blowfish is fucking high off its ass on cocaine. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just Torchwood things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also, yeah, and then obviously, like, uh, Captain John Hart is introduced, and I'm I'm gonna take this moment to get on my soapbox real real quick. Uh, Captain John Hart's theme is one of the coolest, best pieces of music written for Torchwood, and it is completely unreleased. It is not on the soundtrack at all. Bruh. Completely unreleased. 
But yeah, no, I, I just love the establishing character scene of, like, someone's getting mugged, and he just picks the guy up and dangles him off this parking garage. And the guy's like, oh, God, please stop. And he's just like, no, and drops him. Like, he doesn't even have a one-liner. He's just like, no. And then immediately he walks into a bar and is like, all right, most of you fuck off, but, like, anyone I think is attractive can stay. And then he gets one of everything. <laughs> when Chibnall thought to himself, what if I made Jack, but with even more Jack? Yeah. Um... And then, obviously, like, Jack sees the, the thing. <laughs> I love how in the message, there's, like, the line of, like, what can you be doing that's more important than me? And then at the end, he does the little help me Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. <laughs> and then that Jack just did. And then, I, not only, not only, like, I, I, this, this fucking, this fucking scene... Like, not only do they play uh, Blur in it. Now, admittedly, they play the one Blur song that everyone knows. But shush, shut up. They play Blur. It is a gay bar fight set to song two by Blur where they are equally beating the shit out of each other and making out profusely. <laughs> Chibnall does not have the balls to put this in his in his Doctor Who, man. I'd fucking ki I'd love if this was in Doctor Who. It's never gonna happen, but I'd love it. Just picturing Yaz and thirteen <laughs> in a bar. No, they no they wouldn't they wouldn't bar fight. <laughs> I know, but I want it now. Damn it. <laughs> and like the little lines of like, well, like okay, it's Jack. Like he's fucking running off again. God damn it! I hate when he does that. And 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 Ianta's like, it is more fun when he's around though. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, like, all the little lines, like, rehabs, plural, and Jack's, like, drink, drugs, sex, and John's, like, murder. And he's like, you went to murder rehab? <laughs> just, like, these little zings of, like, what the culture is like and, like, the little, like, just the concept of, like, murder rehab is, like, some fucking Futurama shit. Yeah, it feels uh, it feels more RTD levels of zing than like I've yeah. ever seen Chibnall be, and yeah. I'm like, where you been, man? Yeah, I missed, it's weird. I miss you. <laughs> it's weird. Like I I think someone pointed out that he's a good mimic. He's very good at mimicking the style of like whatever the showrunners is because like obviously like this feels like a very zingy RTD episode and like the Silurian two parters feels like it fits very well in series five. But, like, yeah, it's just, like, can you just keep mimicking what you're doing here, please? I'll probably hate your run a lot less. Um, <laughs> I just, I swear, I'm just going to start, like, reading off some of the shit that John says. Because I, I, like, I know we don't go through, like, nearly as much detail normally when we do Torchwood. But just, ev like, almost every fucking thing that comes out of his goddamn mouth is so good. 
like Jack's like the team name's Torchwood and he's like, Oh, not Excalibur Blizz like he's like starts shit talking about the name. Um <laughs> Jack's like, we go back, and John's like, we go way back. And then the thing of like, it was two weeks, except that was trapped in a time loop, so we were together for five years. It was like having the wife and then the back and forth of like you were the wife. No, you were the wife. And then just the live delivery of oh, but I was a good wife. <laughs> and Tosh trying to get in on the banter. Side note, side note, the other day, as as some of you who uh, follow me on Twitter might know, uh, recently because of pandemic, I have become an avid player of one Final Fantasy fourteen. And in the second expansion, Stormblood, I found out that Tasha's actress voices a character. And I managed to play the entire expansion and not notice this until the credits. <laughs> and it's weird because the character is the complete opposite of Tosh. Like, I joke that, like, whenever she comes on screen, it's like, oh, yeah, great. It's the evil ruler of the kingdom that wants to step on people. Well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, introduced to this person. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's she's an authoritarian. Uh, uh, then we get the uh, <laughs> the line the line of uh, get two agents in the same time room together. It's always about the size of their wrists or strap. <laughs> and then you get the sense that like Jack knows. Like, and he, Jack even straight up says that he knows that John is conning him because, and he says, like, there's like a astronomically low percent that maybe he's actually telling the truth and has turned over a new leaf. <laughs> but no, he walks into the building and is like, uh, like, I'm a two gun person. And Gwen's like, lists off like 15 weapons that he has hiding along his personage. When you can write sixty um, percent of a Torchwood episode by horny posting, in the writers' yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, actually, when I, to be fair, actually, yeah. When I say I'd like to see more of this from Chibnall, I think I mean mainly like the zinginess and like the character. Oh yeah. Because like, the level of horny that this is only fits in Torchwood. <laughs> oh yeah, it no, would I just don't. Be uncomfortable or unairable if it was in Doctor Who. It would be like that one fucking like line Eleven has in Journey of the Center of the TARDIS, where it's just like this is uncomfortably horny. Um, don't want to dial that up to thirteen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, and just like also like the little scenes of like Gwen reveals that she's gotten engaged and Jack is really happy for her, but she's got like she still has like a bone to pick with him like she's still not letting go of the fact that he fucking dipped on all of them without telling them and they had no idea where he was um and then gwen volunteers to go with him which is very like that's very gwen but also like wow that's a stupid ball moment yeah. 
uh <laughs> jack like tries to explain the ground rules and you hear like you hear like john be like has he got to the no kissing rule yet <laughs> he only invented that because he wants me all to himself <laughs> like i just consistently had like a beaming grin on my face like the entire episode Oh yeah, also Reese briefly shows up to say that he got the manager positions at, at Harwood. So be prepared. In a few weeks, it's going to be time for Harwood's lorry posting. I hope y'all are ready. I'm um, not. Huh, I just realized the paralyzing lip gloss here. That's a... Uh... River Song. Yeah, like that gets called back in River Song, and like of the things that I expected, like to come to the main series from Torchwood, that was not it. Um. So yeah, and then he he turns on all of them, um. But as a reprieve from all of this, we get the sweetest scene in the entire episode where like it's weird how, like I think it really shows like how like much. Ionto means to Jack and how much their relationship means that Captain Jack Harkness is having a meet cute. But it, it, no, this scene is great though. It's 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 fantastic. I love it. Um Oh yeah, also I forgot that like like I forgot that John is like a straw nihilist. <laughs> Yeah, I see it. John fucking listens. John fucking is like, have you... Jack, have you seen Rick and Morty? <sighs> I'm so... <laughs> um but yeah no i love how jack just like no sells his bullshit like he's like yeah okay like yeah you play like you played me like i like like jack's like really you think i'd fall for that and he's like okay just give me the canister and jack's like oops and tosses it and just sh stares at him like what bitch and the best part is, is you have to know that John, he, he would have known that John would have killed him there. So he did that just to spite him because he knew he'd freak him the fuck out when he, which actually I am just going to skip ahead to that thing where they, they all surround John and he's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I killed your boss. And then Jack walks in. He's like, what the fuck? Like he, act, like it is the first time his composure breaks the entire episode. Nani? Yeah. <laughs> and and how how he's the, the the best part is like how he's like uh like uh how how's it work? I like how how much did you pay for that? And he's like, no, I listen bro, I can't die. I cannot die. Yeah, yeah. that's a... Uh... It's, it, a, it's, it's a good funny use to, to keep that fresh. Yeah. 
it's funny too because this is like they even start realizing how to use their budget effectively because the resolution is basically just people running around in a car park and like one rift effect they managed to like that resolution cost them like i don't know 200 bucks to film like they they like unlike last time where they vastly overestimated like how much they could bite off with a, the budget that they had they managed to like effortlessly do a finale with like a like a, a climax of the episode with stakes and everything that's super cheap and they managed to make it work despite the fact that it's just in a car park in Wales <laughs> And, oh yeah also the little thing of like the fact that like gwen is gunning it to where the the rift thing is and john's like checking things out and he's like oh that's gorgeous and gwen's like that's a poodle <laughs> um so yeah uh john john leaves but but not before saying that he found gray and that clearly shakes jack and that sets up like a little bit of uh, it sets up, actually, yeah, it sets up a mini arc. Like, it's not nearly as involved as, like, a Doctor Who arc, but it is a bit of an arc. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, anything before ratings that you guys want to weigh in? Because I realize, like, I've been, like, just gushing about this for, like, 30 minutes. So, wh what do you guys got? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was good. It was fun. Um... It was definitely a pleasant surprise to come from Chris Chibnall and the guy who plays John. As of course, I mean, we were talking about this in Voyage of the Damned. When you get good uh, actors for these, like, quote-unquote, like, side characters, it really adds to the episode and to the entertainment value. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more. Yeah, definitely. Um, See, so yeah, I, I guess I guess moving on to ratings. As I said, um, this is uh, my mother's favorite Torchwood episode. Um, I'm pretty sure she's rewatched it a lot too. Um, and honestly, I I think in terms of just like a fun one that I'd want to watch, yeah, I'd I'd pick this one specifically. I think this is definitely a 10 out of 10. Like, I think, like, I don't know. I feel like in some ways Random Shoes is kind of the better episode, but I wouldn't just, like, watch Random Shoes. I would just watch this when I wanted to have a good time because this episode is just nonstop fun. Yeah, I'd also call it a 10 out of 10. It's a different 10 out of 10 than, like, the really, like, emotional, like, heart-wrenching, like, highly like emotionally mentally involved pieces of like last uh season that we gave 10 out of 10s to but like this is it's just entertaining it's balls to the wall like crazy but investing like television i don't know how else to say it um so yeah i enjoyed it a lot 10 out of 10 i i'm gonna have to break with the pack here um I definitely think it was like really good. It was really good. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, I I don't think it grabbed me quite as much as like some of the ten out of ten episodes have. 
in both like this one and Doctor Who. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Altogether, I think it was it was definitely very good. I don't think it was as engaging as a ten out of ten, but it was definitely really good. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd say a nine out. Of 10. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. I just think I got like, well, a I'm I'm super familiar with it, um, because as I said, I've I've seen it more than some of the other ones, and and as I yeah, said, definitely it is, possible that on like multiple viewings, I I'd appreciate it yeah. more like once yeah. I know what it's yeah. doing. It's it's just at the point where I get a ten out of ten enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so next week, uh, we're going to be going back to covering, uh, two, uh, Torchwood episodes to make sure that this all fits because, uh, we're not going to be doing a big three-part finale episode and, uh, there, we're also going to be doubling up in other places because there are episodes that narratively sort of go together and we don't have an animated episode. Uh, so next week we will be dis- uh, discussing uh, series two, episodes two and three, Sleeper into the Last Man. Um, until then, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at B2TardisPod. Um, you can also support us on Patreon to get access to things like bonus episodes early. Uh, we just did a bonus episode on the Seventh Doctor Story Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, by the time that this episode comes out, it will probably already have been publicly released, but it is currently available. Uh, it will be currently available then, or if I manage to get this episode out earlier, if you sign up on the day, you'll get early access to it, um, and you'll get early access to future ones. Um, you can also listen in to us record the podcast live, or maybe possibly even guest on an episode of your choosing. Um, I'm Jeff. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WheatleyDL. I am Astrid Peth's atomized WAP. You can find me on Twitter at skyhigh9 underscore <laughs> 5. God. <laughs> I can't follow that one. I'm Avery, big fat penis 69. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Avery, you just got fucking outplayed. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't have anything that good. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Thank you.